We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, January the 4th, 2021. On today's show, we'll start on the hardwood. Gamecocks getting a 78-71 to win over the Florida A&M Rattlers. I'll talk about the game in its entirety, standouts from the game. Also, what does it mean for South Carolina getting that win after a long layoff? Now you're going to SEC play. What can we take away from South Carolina's win on Saturday? Also, a coaching search update. Shane Beamer has added a Another assistant coach to his staff, Justin Stepp, being hired on as wide receivers coach. I'll talk about that. Also, updates on the defensive coordinator, defensive backs coach. Much, much more in that regard as well. Also, news and notes to get into. South kind of picking up another commit. We have your listener questions, voicemails. lot to get into here on a Monday. And also, we have a fantastic conversation. Former Gamecocks offensive lineman Chris White joins the show. We get a lot his career, obviously. Break down everything with him. Winning the Liberty Bowl in 2006. Playing for head coach Steve Spurrier. Some of the great running backs he blocked for. His professional career as well a lot to get into a packed show here on a monday folks and it's all brought to you by our friends over at upstate movers group guys upstate movers group superior moving service they bring care and attention other companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service guys service is what separates upstate movers group from the competition by the way they're not a trucking company they are a moving services company and they're also employee-owned co-op guys their movers are paid twice the industry average and everyone on the crew is just invested in the success of the project as you are. They have dedicated professional crew members and they also offer black glove service, guys. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni, guys. So a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether you're in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out my friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media, obviously, at Upstate Movers Group. And, of course, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That is upstatemoversgroup.com. The show is also brought to you by our friends over at my bookie, guys. 2021 is here. My bookie's been in a giving mood. A $250 risk-free bet on Thanksgiving. Boosted odds and free bets every hour of Black Friday. And they continue to give away more freebies for Cyber Monday. Guys, for a sports book that's supposed to be in the business of making money, they were giving it away. That's just one of the reasons why I've been rolling with my bookie this season. The fact is this. If you're going to put some action on the games, whether you're betting NFL, NCAA, college football, college hoops, whatever your preference, you want to do it with a reputable brand like my bookie. Guys, you can make a deposit using the promo code GAMECOX. That's promo code GAMECOX. And they'll match you halfway to give you a head start on building your bankroll. Guys, put in $200, get an extra $100, to play with joining and depositing is a simple process and it's quick but more importantly when it's time to get paid that's quick too. treat yourself some extra cash in your pocket in 2021 by investing in your intuition guys it's not just winter season it's winning season so bet win and get paid with my bookie let's get it
folks, how's it going? I'm Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up Show. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. Happy Monday. Hope you're all doing well. Hope you all had a fantastic holiday weekend. I'm sure a lot of you getting back in the office today, getting back to work today, of course, with New Year's being Friday and New Year's weekend. A lot of great football on as well. I know we all sat down and relaxed and watched a bunch of football as well. Um, Whatever you did this weekend, maybe you did work, I don't know. Hope you had a fantastic weekend, folks. And again, whether you're tuning in on the commute, you're in the office, you're chilling at home, you got the day off. I appreciate you all taking the time to tune in here. Got a packed show, a lot to get into here on a Monday, guys. And again, appreciate your love support. I had a fantastic weekend myself. We got some beautiful weather in the city on Sunday after a couple of rainy days. Sunday, a beautiful day. Reminds you why you live in Columbia, right? Like mid 60s. I mean, it's literally January the what it was the January the third at that point. Mid-60s, I mean, just a beautiful day. Got to get outside, go on a walk, go on a little run, everything else. It was a great time. But again, like I said, appreciate you guys tuning in here on a Monday. We got a packed show. Before we get in everything, again, I know we don't do housekeeping items anymore, but a couple of things I want to make you guys aware of that I am very, very, very excited about. Guys, returning this week, you saw it teased with the Gasparilla Bowl stream on NCAA 14, guys. The NCAA streams are back. They're coming back this weekend. I don't have an official schedule right now to tell you guys, but we're going to be doing some Road to Glory stuff, some Dynasty stuff, some simulation stuff. I've got the new mod downloaded. Shout out College Football Revamp, by the way. Those guys have done an incredible job, and the game looks incredible, but it's a piece of content that I know you guys truly do enjoy, so we are bringing the NCAA streams back to life starting this week. Stay tuned for that. Also, you guys know how we do the Daily Crow. You know how we do the pregame and the postgame shows for football. I'm bringing those back to life as well, this time for basketball. Starting on Wednesday when South Carolina plays Texas A&M at home, 9 o'clock Wednesday is the tip. We are going to do pregame and postgame shows for basketball just like we did for football. So Wednesday, we'll go live before the 9 o'clock tip, 8 to 8.30. Saturday, we'll go live 5 to 5.30 before the 6 o'clock tip at Ole Miss. So again, just more content for you guys, more live streams, more opportunities to act, ask questions and call in, all that good stuff. And I love doing them. So again, we're going to do the pregame and the postgame shows for basketball starting on Wednesday. And also, one last thing, stay tuned for this. New merchandise dropping this week. And folks, it is Fuego. This is something all Gamecock fans are going to love. Like I told you guys, we're, we're making merch a big, and I mean a big part of the business in 2021 so stay tuned for that merch drop and also one last thing really quickly you guys may have seen the tweet the cox and cola initiative um new media entity if you want to find out more about it i'm not going to spoil and say too much we already talked about it. i had ethan kelly on the show who's going to be uh who's going to be spearheading and running that he's going to be the host of cox and cola yes it's going to be a new podcast a new media entity if you will and really geared towards usc students really excited to hit that demographic to bring a different type of content if you will um but you guys may have seen that if you have not done so go check out cox and cola on social media facebook twitter instagram youtube everything just like the spurs up show be sure to follow them content will be coming here in the next few weeks really really excited about that all right let's dive into it let's start first on the court game cox returning to action after nearly a month off getting a 78-71 to 71 win. Now, listen, I, I know there's a lot of, you know, I went to this game on Saturday, by the way, which was really fun. It was really ominous, I'll say that, being in Colonial Life Arena because, again, the crowd is just so sparse. We're like, in football, you know, you had the limited crowd, and, and it definitely felt weird having a limited crowd, you know what I mean, not having a full Willie B. But I feel like, there were still enough people there to generate noise and make it feel somewhat quote-unquote normal, if you like. I don't know if that makes sense, but it didn't feel quite as weird. Being at Colonial Life Arena with like a 1,000 people there at most was a very interesting and strange thing. It felt like you were in like a high school gym. Like you could hear the shoes screeching. You could hear Frank Martin losing his shit every other time. It, it was wild. You know what I mean? Like it was crazy to, to be in that arena with, with that few people. But, again, it was great to get in Colonial Life, Arena, Colonial Life Arena. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to go to a basketball game all season long. So to even get in the building was a great experience. I went into the game with this mindset. Again, you haven't played in nearly a month. Then you find out before the game you're without half of your roster. You know, I told the guy I was with, 
it's it's hard for me to come in this game and feel like I'm going to be critical of this team in any way because you understand what you're going up against. And listen, I'm not saying FAMU's a good team. I, I'm, I'm not saying South Carolina fans don't have anything to worry about after a game like this because, again, very close game, damn near tied at halftime. You win by seven. Um, you're able to pull away late. Yeah, it was 38-35 to 35 at half. Um, Florida A&M, that drops them. They're one and six on the season. So, again, not a very good basketball team. Um, I know Frank Martin was very complimentary of them in the, in the post game and everything, but definitely a game you felt like you should have won with ease. But, again, you're looking at a team had been off for a month and had half its roster. And, again, you find out in pregame you have half your roster. You had nine guys to go on the floor with. And I, th- I think you kind of got – we got exactly what we expected from South Carolina on Saturday. A lot of rust, uh, which, uh, again, is – I say that, I say that a lot of rust. South Carolina didn't shoot the ball all that poorly. Um, 41% from the floor, 30% from a three-point range. Uh, really not a terrible shooting performance. Defensively, definitely. And I think what you more so saw than anything was South Carolina was such a limited roster with just nine guys. Um, the inability to really switch out. I mean, you look at a guy like Jermaine Kuznar, played 36 minutes. Lawson played 34. Manaya played 33. Which, again, those are the guys that you had to lean on. But I think you saw the conditioning aspect. You know, a lot of times where South Carolina did not get back on defense, and Frank Martin talked about that in his postgame. Um, but I will say, I'm proud of this team for the fight, for the resiliency, overcoming adversity. You know, it, it's been such a tough and weird season to this point. Um, you know, you already have a rough start year. You start out one and two. Then you don't play for a month. And like I said, then you don't have half your roster. In a game like this, you had to lean on your, and and again, overcoming adversity, you had to lean on your best players to have their best games. And A.J. Lawson gave you that on Saturday. Again, 9 of 16 from the floor, 3 of 9 from 3. He finished with 25 points, 5 rebounds as well, um, and 2 steals also, um, you know, a block. I mean, he had a great game. He had a great game for South Carolina. And A.J. Lawson, again, a guy that South Carolina is going to need to rely on All season long. He needs to have that type of game with the Gamecocks all season long. Uh, So, again, in a game like this, you know, when when you are not playing with a full deck, let's just call it what it is. When you're not playing with a full deck and you're playing shorthanded, you got to lean on your best players. I thought Jermaine Kuznar had a solid day as well, 15 points. And, again, what he did for you, just being on the floor, 36 minutes. And, again, you hope he's okay going down at the end of that game. Um but I thought you saw some pretty solid individual performances. I mean, really where South Carolina, I noticed, was hurting the most was inside because you just didn't have those guys inside because they were out. They were out due to COVID. They were out for whatever reasons. Um, you know, I know Wilton Zavak played 16 minutes for you down low. Seventh Woods played 28 minutes. But, uh, you know, you didn't have Jalen McCreary, who I think is probably going to be your main guy inside. You didn't have Keyshawn Bryant, his athleticism. And I think South Carolina's talent and athleticism – that eventually showed as that game went on and the Gamecocks pulled away in the second half. But, uh, you know, again, it's it's really tough for me to come on here and be overly critical of this team and, and that performance on Saturday. Again, I think the number one goal from a game like that, you go into it, listen, we know what's in front of us. We know the challenges. Let's just get the win and get the hell out of here. And thank God for this team, by the way. They didn't have to play an SEC game coming off of that month-long layover because I think we can all agree if South Carolina would have been facing a Florida, Kentucky, even an A&M, an Ole Miss, it would have been ugly. I mean, it had been really, really ugly for South Carolina, but you didn't. You got a team that you can get your feet wet again, get back on the floor, kind of find your rhythm or at least start to find your rhythm, and South Carolina did that again, getting that seven-point win over Florida A&M. Now, the question is this. Number one, can South Carolina get the other half of its roster back for Wednesday's game against Texas A&M? And number two, if they do get said roster back, I mean, how much rust does that half of the roster and how much rust does this team have? Like, is this team really going to be ready to go to play in an SEC game? And again, I'm not making excuses. COVID's a thing for everybody. A lot of teams have sat out, but again, it was just, you know, I went into that game Saturday just thinking, how, how, how can I rip these guys for being rusty, for not being in game shape, for – and again, now, you, you couldn't go into that thinking, okay, if we lose, it's okay, but 
how sharp did you really expect South Carolina to be in that one? So, again, I'm not saying the South Carolina fans shouldn't be a little concerned, if you will, but I think it's too early to be hitting the panic button. Let, let's see how the first week or two of SEC play plays out. Let's see how this team responds. And then we can reassess and go from there. Because, again, there, there's going to be some – th- I think there's going to be some bumps in the road. Again, coming back from from not playing for a month. And, again, South Carolina was never able to establish a rhythm in those non-conference games. I mean, that hurts. That hurts. South Carolina, I feel like, as a team, I don't even really know who they are. I mean, I, I know you have some talented pieces. I, I still fully believe there are a lot of talented pieces on this roster. But who do you turn to? You know, who do you really turn to at this point – you don't really have any consistency. You don't have any any type of momentum necessarily. I mean, who do you turn to? So, again, it'll be really interesting to see how South Carolina, how Frank Martin can get these boys ready to play, get them ready to go for Wednesday night against Texas A&M. But overall, again, you took care of business on Saturday. What was it? Was it an ugly win? Of course. Yes, it was very ugly. It was not pretty. But you got the win, and that's all that matters. And, again, for those guys to go out there after a month off, you know, you have half your roster sitting the bench due to COVID concerns and stuff like that. For them to get that W, I think it says a lot about the character of the team and the players you have. And again, kudos to a guy like AJ Lawson, who really carried this game Cox basketball team on Saturday for sure. So again, South kind of moving to two and two overall, opening up SEC play on Wednesday at Colonial Life Arena, by the way, against the Texas AM Aggies. It should be a lot of fun. All right, let's move into football stuff. Coaching search. Update, and I waited until later in the day on Sunday to record today's show because I really thought to myself, you know what? Shane Beamer dropped the entire coaching staff on us last Sunday afternoon. I bet you he dropped something else again this Sunday afternoon. And sure enough, he did. South Carolina picking up or hiring, if you will, filling one of its last three spots in regards to on-field assistance. Justin Stepp hired... As wide receivers coach, you may be asking yourself, Chris, who in the world is Justin Stepp? Let me tell you a little bit about Justin Stepp. Justin Stepp, coming from Arkansas, born July 5th, 1983, birthplace Columbia, South Carolina. So he's actually from Columbia, went to Pillion High School in Pillion, South Carolina, uh, went to Furman, graduated in 2007. His coaching experience, 07, he was at Fort Mill High School as the wide receivers coach, coached at North Greenville, same position, was at Clemson, puke from 09 to 11 as a grad assistant 2012-2014 coached wide receivers at Appalachian State 2015-2017 coached wide receivers at SMU and has been at Arkansas since 2018 coaching their wide receivers and yes they've had some success of course um, at Arkansas you know a lot of people ask me Chris what do you think about this hire and all that listen I'm gonna keep this short and sweet and you can take this however you like Joe Cox was our wide receivers coach before this. This is an upgrade. There's no other way to put it. This is an upgrade. Again, I don't know necessarily a ton about Justin Stepp. Again, I know he's been a part of some very prolific offenses, especially at SMU. And, of course, they've put out some really, really good wide receivers. Um, Just reading here in 2016, uh, Sutton led the SMU offense. Uh, Let's see. God had 76 catches. 1,246 yards, 10 touchdowns. Um, You know, he led SMU to have their first 1,000-yard receiver since 2013. Obviously, we take a look at what he's done at Arkansas. He coached guys like Cortland Sutton, Trey Quinn at SMU, some really, really talented guys. Um, You know, overall, he's done well on the recruiting trail, too. That's the big thing. He's done well on the recruiting trail. His recruiting efforts uh, prior to 2019 recruited the duo of Traylon Burks and Trey Knox, which was one of the top freshman receiving duos in the entire country so done a really good job on the recruiting trail somebody who's going to bust their ass recruiting and a young fiery coach who again has been around some really really good offensive football I think it's a solid hire again I think you upgraded at that that position if you will um and so excited to see what he can do you know with the Gamecock wide receivers. And again, a, a position that, of course, needs help. We all know that. You got a little bit of that late, late last week in the Georgia Tech transfer. But uh, a position needs a lot of help for sure. What can Justin Stepp do? Can he come in and mold, especially the young South Carolina wide receivers? Because again, I truly do feel like I think there's some young talent in that room that just really never got developed. Can Justin Stepp do that for South Carolina? But again, overall, 
you know, keeping it short and sweet, I think it's a solid hire. I think it's a good hire. Um, I Again, I think you, you know, with all due respect to Joe Cox, was half joking, but I mean, the guy played quarterback in college. I think you, without a doubt, upgraded um, in this scenario. You know, I wonder if Gamecock fans are going to be quite as upset that he was at Clemson like they were Billy Napier. I don't think they are, just, just based off my quick reactions from social media. But to, no, really a solid hire. A solid hire has done a really good job developing players at his previous stops, especially at SMU in Arkansas, and has done a great job on the recruiting trail. And, hey, that's all you can ask for, a guy that can recruit and a guy that can develop. So, again, I think Justin Stepp, a positive addition to Shane Beamer's coaching staff. I want to give you guys some updates, some things I've been hearing as well on the defensive coordinator and defensive back coaching positions because it sounds like today South Carolina is having a board of trustees meeting which they will be approving contracts. And you'd assume that the D.C. and D.B. coaches would be involved in that. So it sounded like right now, if I had to put money on, I think our best guess, I'm pretty sure the the name with the most momentum right now, Derek Mason, like I said, since the beginning of last week, I do think he's going to be the defensive coordinator. I still believe he's going to be the D.C. Um, I think it's Mason or Bust at this point. We'll see what happens. I got some really interesting updates, though, on Jay Bateman from a source very close actually to UNC, that apparently Shane Beamer really wanted Bateman. There was reason, there was a lot of uh, momentum, if you will, to a potential Bateman hiring. Um, You know, I heard that Shane Beamer went to Chapel Hill and there were some external factors for reasons um, that Jay Bateman did not take the job. You know, his son's health concerns was one of them. Um, Not wanting to be a part of a first-year coaching staff was another um, you know, just what they're building in Chapel Hill. That was another big thing. So you can understand that as well from Bateman's thing. But right now it's Derek Mason or bust. It's Derek Mason or bust. And I still believe that Derek Mason probably, maybe by the time you guys are hearing this, is going to be, na- be named the next defensive coordinator at South Carolina. Also, the name that I'm hearing for defensive backs, and this is a name that's been floating around all over social media, but this one's picking up a little more steam. Again, by the time you guys are hearing this, it may already be named, but Torian Gray coming from Florida, a guy who's I think almost got 20 years of coaching experience, done a really, really good job at UF, uh, was in the NFL with the Washington Redskins. I mean, this is a guy, a really well-respected defensive coach. And again, I think would be a huge upgrade of that position from what South Carolina had previously. And I, I think would be a very, very solid hire. So again, we're all kind of wait and see mode. I, I know again, Shane Beamer has been a guy that, has been on his own schedule, on his own time clock, and I've said that many times, and that's totally fine. But I, I think probably, again, sometime today, if not today, definitely tomorrow, we will be finding out who South Carolina's new defensive coordinator and defensive backs coaches are. So, again, it's been a lot of fun. This coaching search carousel thing, whatever, however you want to call it, it's been a blast. I mean, it, it's been up and down all over the place. But, again, it seems like finally, 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 early this week, Maybe even today, maybe tomorrow, we are going to know who the defensive coordinator and defensive backs, and we're going to know who all 10 of the on-field assistants are at South Carolina. All right, let's get in some news and notes. We'll knock out your listener questions and dive into our interview. Uh, News and notes, of course, I have to mention this. Guys, how sweet was it to watch Clemson get blasted by Ohio State? I I just want to take a second to recognize that. What a night that was. And, and honestly, just antagonizing Clemson fans on social media, it just makes it all worth it. I mean, really, that 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 brings me so much joy into my heart. It, it was such a blast. Such a blast, guys. I appreciate all you that tuned in as well and were liking the tweets and sharing them and liking stuff on Instagram. Just so much fun to get under, to watch Clemson fans literally unravel at the seams. What what a time. What What a great time that was. Thank you, Ohio State. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, Ohio State, for doing us a solid and getting the job done. Thank you. That was so much fun to watch. Um, another quick note really quickly. South Carolina Shane Beamer picking up a commitment on Sunday night. Ronnie Porter, 2021 outside linebacker from Heathwood Hall, where Marcus Lattimore used to coach. He will be a preferred walk-on, and Marcus Lattimore giving him a lot of praise um, on social media, saying that he thinks Ronnie Porter – Will be a contributor in all facets. Think he will be. Thinks he can. He could potentially be a starter. Um, so again, you know, we'll see what happens. Overall, a solid pickup and great to keep him in state. But Ronnie Porter coming from Heathwood Hall, right here in Columbia, class of 2021. Welcome home, Mister Ronnie Porter. All right. With that being said, 
Let's dive into you guys' listener questions and voicemails, and we're going to start with the voicemails here on a Monday. Hey, Chris. Uh, definitely had to call in and weigh in on the uh, lovely playoff game. Uh, it was absolutely hilarious and fantastic. Like, had to be the greatest start of the year to see Clemson fans all over social media just attacking South Carolina fans like – I, I know I saw a bunch of them post two and eight, two and eight, two and eight, and all that. Like, what does that really matter? Like, South Carolina and Clemson didn't even play each other. Like, that doesn't even matter. And I saw a bunch of them say, yeah, you, we ride the coattails of other teams beating Clemson. And, you know, they everybody knows they would have killed us this year. And, yeah, that's, that's true. That's fair. But you got your ass kicked the other night. There is no debating about it. You got your butt kicked. And I'm pretty sure a majority of the country really enjoyed watching that fiasco. It was, I know I did. And the fact that your response, most of their fans' responses are on their rival social media pages arguing with Gamecock fans just shows how fragile your mind and mentality really is. And it pokes holes in that facade of all in and family because. Yeah, it's all great when Father Dabo and the fellowship are winning a bunch of games and winning titles. Yeah, everything great. Winning solves everything. It's when you start losing is when you you got to place blame on people. And it shows that it isn't all in up in that upstate, and those people cannot take it. Anyway, had to get that in. That was by far the best part of the weekend. So that's all I got. Looking forward to the pod on Monday. Take care. Hey Tim, appreciate the voicemails always, man. Great chatting with you, and uh, yeah, it, it was it was it, it was beautiful. I mean, there's no other way to put it. it was beautiful, and uh, you know, I, I had comments after the game, and I, I'd stick by it. Clemson fans if, if for whatever. And I, I think there are some Clemson trolls that listen to this this show. Maybe they're just Clemson fans. They t- I don't know. Whatever, whoever. If you're a Clemson fan, you tune in. Appreciate it. Whatever. Um, there are Clemson people that I'm sure tune into this though, and. Uh, you know, I would say this again, Clemson fans. You you don't you not need be upset at Gamecock fans or or people like me or whoever. You need to be upset at Dabo Sweeney because he's the one that poked the bear. He's the one that tested karma. And when you test karma the way he did, you're gonna get burnt. Bottom line, you're gonna get burnt. And he got exactly what he deserved from all that shit talk. And I agree with you, Tim. It was beautiful to watch, and it does show. Clemson fans are softer than marshmallows, my friend. I mean, just, you know, they have everything. They're winning big. They're winning the AC, these ACC titles. You know, we all know they're better than Carolina you know, right now and all that. But still, just the, the ability to get under their skin the way we can is wild. It's laughable. It's, it's heartwarming. It's entertaining. It's everything we'd all hoped it'd be. So, again, thank you. Really, hey, I'll say this. Thank you, Clemson fans for the pure comedy and entertainment all weekend long because that was hysterical. And it was, you know, it was great watching the entire country come together to hate these fools. I mean, honestly, I I love to see the fact that Dabo, his facade, I think, is finally played out with people. People are finally sick of Dabo Sweeney. They're, They're sick of his BS. They're sick of the stuff he's trying to feed them. So, I love seeing it. Again, Dabo and that crew couldn't have happened to a better group of people in the upstate, and they got exactly what they deserved. And maybe Dabo Sweeney will think twice before he tries to play with karma again. And Clemson fans, you can you can defend it all you want. Oh, he just said that he wasn't going to rank somebody who hadn't played this many games the top 10. Dabo knew exactly what he was saying and what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. And if he didn't, he's an idiot, and he shouldn't be a football coach. If, if, he, had, if he don't know any better, he's a damn idiot. So – Take one or the other, but, you know, I, that, that was – thank you. Again, Ohio State, thank you. Thank you because you provided us with pure enjoyment and pure joy and comedy and entertainment all throughout the weekend. And it will probably continue. Clemson fans are literally, like I said, unraveling at the seams. Tim, again, thanks so much for the voicemail. Let's go ahead and dive your listener questions here. Gamecock.nation.news. Thoughts on how well we played with limited players. Again, I thought, Sal, you know, it's tough because you hate to say, oh, we got a great win over Florida A&M. Like, I'm just not going one way or the other. South Carolina, I was proud of the guys for the fight, the way they battled, the resiliency, playing with nine guys. You got the win, you escaped. How much more can you ask for? You know what I mean? So, 
Um, I thought South kind of had some guys that played individually, played pretty well. I, I really did. And I think the, for the situation they were put in, that's about all you can ask out of those guys. Um, another question from him, chances of making the tournament. I, dude, I'll be totally honest with you. I have no idea at this point. I need to see more games from the South kind of team. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I, I don't really know what to expect. Um, you know, the SEC is going to be brutal. SEC play is going to be tough. We're going to learn a lot about this team Wednesday night when they play A&M. And, again, you do get them at home, but A&M is a really, really good basketball team. How much of your team do you get back? And, again, I hate using the COVID excuse because everybody is dealing with COVID. Everybody's dealing with this stuff. But you do have to acknowledge it. So we'll see what happens. Can they make the tournament? I think yes. I think this team has the roster to do it. I, I just – I wonder what the rest of this season is going to look. Let's let's get a week or two into this thing, and I'll give you a much better answer. Um, I'll give you a much better answer in a couple of weeks. Let's see, Andrew underscore Varn. What do you predict the B-ball team to go in SEC play? And that's a great question. I'm not even sure how many SEC games they have, but if it's that normal 18 number, um, I think it's 18, right? If you if you can go over 500, almost if you can go 12 and six or better, that's a I think that's probably a great record. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, Caitlin Melton, D.C. status. Should be announced today, I would say. So, should be announced today. I think it's going to be Derek Mason. Jackson underscore cash underscore three, uh, zero three. Tom Herman, defensive coordinator. <sighs> I was shocked he got fired, but no, he will not be the D.C. I think, again, it's going to be Derek Mason. Brennan underscore, Brennan underscore Smith, 47. ACC 0-6 in bowl season. They are a joke. I don't totally disagree there. Last question, Dirty Rice. What does O-line coach friend bring to the table. Again, he's an SEC guy, has coached some really good players in the offensive line. He's recruited in SEC territory. I think that's the biggest draw for him. He is an SEC dude. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, outside of that, you know, we'll see what happens. But I think Will Friend definitely was a solid pickup. I think he's a solid assistant to add to the staff. And again, he's been around some really good SEC programs. He's coached some really good SEC linemen and offensive lines as a whole. We'll see how it plays out at South Carolina. So, again, guys, appreciate the questions, voicemails. Appreciate you all tuning in. We've got an awesome interview coming up. Don't go anywhere quite yet. Former Gamecocks offensive lineman Chris White joining me, guys. If you remember, this guy started every single game the first two years of the Steve Spurrier era. I mean, that that's impressive. That's damn impressive. Chris, obviously an anchor on the offensive line, blocked for some of the best Gamecocks, running backs in school history. We have a phenomenal conversation, guys. So, again, Appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you so much. Hope you all have a fantastic Monday. Now enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks offensive lineman, Chris White. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2002 to 2006. During his career, he started 41 games with the Gamecocks on the offensive line, including every single game the last two seasons of his career. He was named freshman All-SEC in 2003, won the most improved lineman in the spring in 2005, and most outstanding lineman in spring of 2006. He was named the Remington Award watch list in 2006 and really was an anchor for that Gamecocks offensive line. Also spent some time professional football with the Eagles and Seahawks in 2007, 2008, but really again, remembered for anchoring that South Carolina offensive line, of course, being a part of Steve Spurrier's first couple of teams that accomplished so many firsts in Columbia. I'm very pleased to be joined by former Gamecocks offensive lineman, Chris White. Chris, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Yeah, absolutely. So, Chris, I want to go back to the beginning for you because you are an in-state guy. Uh, you come from Chester, South Carolina, and you got to South Carolina in 2002. And I thought it was really interesting, by the way, just a quick note. I was looking at your recruitment. Um, you were one of the top – you are the number two in-state lineman behind your future teammate, Jabari Levy. So, I'm sure that was, like, very interesting, a little kind of, you know, rivalry between you two guys, I guess you could say. Yeah. But you go to Carolina together. But, again, you're an in-state guy from Chester – Talk about the recruiting process for you. Again, you're obviously a highly regarded prospect. What was the recruiting process like? And again, when you came to South Carolina, it was Lou Holtz and Skip Holtz and that crew. Um, what was that process like, and why did you choose to become a Gamecock? Uh, the process for me, it was it was pretty cool. Um, like I say, I came out of school in 2002, uh, you know, pretty highly recruited, but I made it known earlier in my recruitment that I was going to stay in state. So I think a lot of schools started backing off, uh, you know, once I made that comment. But I knew I wanted to stay close to my family. I grew up uh, kind of a Clemson fan, you know, don't hate me for that, but uh, <laughs> between Carolina and Clemson. Mm. And, uh, you know, once we went to the Shrine Bowl and, 
met a lot of guys who, who, you know, who were coming out that year. I came out, became really good friends with a lot of those guys. And, you know, I was decided, you know, we can try to go to Carolina, you know, and, and, and do well there, and do well there. So that, that's pretty much why I chose Carolina. Uh, I felt like it was a good fit for me. My dad went to South Carolina. And when I went to, you know, on my visits, I just felt at home. And when Coach Host visited me in my in-home uh, recruiting visit, it just felt like the place to be. And so, you know, I just, you know, I made that vow that that's where I wanted to go. For sure. And I think of South Carolina under Lou Holtz when you got there, as far as you talk about like the style and the fit and everything, a team that loved to run the football. You guys obviously had very physical running backs, and the running game was very much a big part of that. I, I want to move into, again, that first year for you, and it's interesting you said you grew up a Clemson fan or were kind of a Clemson fan, if you will. Um, I know you picked South Carolina over Clemson, Maryland, North Carolina, some others. But I want to start again from the beginning of your college career because apparently it looked like your career was going to be over before it even got started because of a neck condition. Um, talk about that. I mean, again, overcoming that adversity. You're, you're a star player in high school and you go through the recruiting process. And again, it sounds like that maybe your career didn't exactly get off to quite the start that you were expecting. Yeah, man, it was rough. Uh, when I first got there, I had high hopes. Uh, I had already knew I was going to red shirt. Um, got into two of day practice and, and, and injured my neck. Uh, they had to, you know, call the ambulance in and they flew me out to Boston to get some tests done within a week. Um, just got a bunch of different uh, notes from different doctors. Some doctors say you should never play again. Another doctor say, you know, you, you risk being paralyzed if you, you know, play one more snap. And so uh, Coach Holtz decided to send me to a bunch of different specialists. So they finally sent me up to Dr. Days uh, up in Boston. And um, he said, Chris, you know what? I think you're fine. He said, um, if I were you, I would play. And so I came back and I processed everything, talked it over with my family, talked it over with the coaching staff, you know, my preacher. We prayed about it. And I just felt like it was the right thing to do uh, for me to come back and, you know, give it a shot. Uh, Coach Holtz, uh, me and him met in the elevator. I was going to talk to him one day. And he said, Chris, you know, I know what's going on. He said, but I promise you, he said, if you decide not to play one more down in Carolina, you always have a home here. Your scholarship is good until you graduate. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and just that, it, it made me feel like, you know, this is the right thing to do. For sure. I wanted to ask you specifically, you speak on Coach Holtz, and obviously he had a great impact on all of his players. And, you know, you just hear the countless stories and you know, the type of impact he's had on not just his players at South Carolina, but all throughout his coaching career and even after. But just just talk about, again, that relationship with Lou Holtz. Because like you said, what what he told you, it sounds like it was really powerful, obviously. I mean, what, what was that relationship? I can't even imagine how great that relationship was even from that point moving forward. Yeah, man, Coach Holtz was awesome, man. You know, from the time that I met him, um, it was always, he always gave everybody that that father figure uh, mentality. You know, we could always go to him and talk to him. I mean, I spent several hours in this office just talking to him, having one-on-ones. Um, he, he was an awesome coach. Uh, like I said, he brought that that family atmosphere there. And to this day, you know, I'm still, you know, pretty tight with a lot of my teammates from, you know, 14, 15, 16 years ago because of that culture that we had at Carolina when I first got there. When I got there, we had a, the big brother, little brother program and, Cedric Williams uh, was my big brother. And so, you know, I'm, I'm still in contact with him now. We're really good friends now. But it, it's just that culture that we had there. You know, it felt like a brotherhood. Mm. Well, I want to jump to your red shirt freshman year, Chris, because, again, you go from not knowing if you'd ever play football again to you get your first career start at Williams-Bryce, and it's against the LSU Tigers, who we obviously all know how good LSU is. And I think – pretty sure 03 was the year they won the national title. So, Matty Mock and all those like, – I'm pretty sure that was that year. I mean, talk about that. I mean, the rush of emotion. Again, you're finally on that stage. And, again, like I said, you're getting your first start, and it is against a very, very worthy opponent. I know they had a great defensive line. LSU's always seemed to have studs on the defensive front. I mean, what was that rush of emotion like for you? Man, it was uh, it was awesome. I mean, before that game, you know, I had played in some mop-up duty, some special teams, but it's a totally different ball game when you know when that clock hits zero and it's time to start that game, you know you're going to be out there on that starting 11. Um, I played alongside guys like uh, Travell Ward, Nation, John Strickland. So those guys really took me under their wings and showed me the ropes. Uh, it was intimidating at first because, you know, you read the scouting reports and you see the, the Chad Lavallees and the, the Mark Spears of those big time guys. And I'm just a red shirt freshman. Um, but like I said, those guys took me under their wings. Uh, let me know, you know what, you, you practice hard, you know the plays, let's go out and play ball. And once that first pad hit, you know, you know, it, it's just football. Yeah. And then again, you were named freshman all SEC uh, that, that first year by the sporting news. I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, would you would you attribute it a lot to your teammates or just what what made the transition, I guess, 
uh, so seamless for you? Because, again, you, you came in and made an immediate impact for South Carolina on the offensive line. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I hit some stumbling blocks and, and had to gr- have some growing pains to get there. Um, it was times, you know, to get back onto the, the, the school side of things outside of the football. You know, I was, you know, me and Jabbar were, were roommates. So, you know, we were really good friends. We were missing class and, and just, just doing things that we weren't supposed to do, just having a little bit of freedom and, and not knowing what to do. And I never forget the day, um, Coach Dave DeGugli- Dave DeGugliamo, um, he put Travell Wharton, Jonathan Austin, a lot of the a lot of the senior guys on a three man sled and said, you know what? Since you guys want to jack around the class, we're going to put these seniors up here, and you guys got to push this sled seven hundred yards. So imagine, you know, Travell Wharton and those older guys, the things that they said to us. I mean, it's just instances like that, that that really got my mind right and let me know, you know what, it's time to it's time to man up and, and all that transition over to the football field. Like I said, you know, Travell was like a big brother to us uh, and Nashawn Goddard and even Jabari Lever was a leader, a leader, even though, you know, we came in together. So just looking up to those older guys and just them taking me under their wings, it, it really helped me mature really fast. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. So I, I want to switch gears a little bit and move to 2004 because, again, from that point, I mean, you got freshman All-SEC honors and you hit the ground running. And, again, you were an anchor on South Carolina's offensive line. Basically, from that point forward, I mean, you started 10 of 11 games in 2004. But I want to ask you specifically about the end of that 04 season and uh, Coach Holtz obviously retiring and Steve Spurrier being hired. I guess just talk about that sequence of events, man. I mean, obviously you, you're, you're sad that your head coach is is hanging it up and the coach that recruited you and has coached you for basically, what, three years at this point. But then, you know, Steve Spurrier is coming to town. I mean, literally a Hall of Famer. I know the buzz around Columbia was incredible leading up to his first game against UCF. Just what was the – I guess what was going through your mind? Because, again, you're losing a Hall of Famer, but you're getting another Hall of Famer. And obviously the whole mindset's changing. And as an offensive lineman, you're going to – continue to do your job. I know you're probably excited. Like, we're going to score some points. I mean, it's, you know, it's everybody's excited for this change. What, what was going through your head when that all went down? Well, I had a lot of mixed emotions because, like I said, um, you know, Coach Spurrier was, was that father figure to us away from home. Mm. And then to the way that we went out the 4 season with the brawl, right. uh, you hate to see him go out like that. I mean, you hate to see that black mark put on his name. Um, I remember when we had the team meeting after that, the um, – the director came in and he said, you know what, you know, Holtz is retiring, you know, that's it. He said, but we're going to, we're going to get you guys the best coach that money can buy. And, um, you know, when, when Spurry came in, you know, everybody was hyped. Uh, we knew his track record. We knew what he did at Florida. Uh, we knew we were going to score some points. And um, the energy in the building was just elevated. Everybody was excited to play with Coach Spurry. For sure. You brought it up. We got to talk about the brawl. I, I, I wasn't even, I forgot totally, I totally, I, I totally <laughs> forgot that somehow. Um, I wanted to save some of the Carolina Clemson talk when we got to your senior year, obviously, because that's when, uh, you know, you guys beat them up there. But, man, talk about the brawl. I mean, I, I've had some of your former teammates on, obviously, having Savelle on him being, like, right in the middle of it. His perspective's interesting. But, I mean, right. again, I, something, you know, we all hope, again, we don't ever see again. But it, it's interesting. Right. It's just such a such a point in the rivalry that, you know, when you when people ask you about Carolina Clemson and the intensity and the hatred on both sides, it's like you can point at that game as an example of just how bitter it is. Um, I mean, what do you what do you remember specifically from from the brawl in, in Death Valley? And what's crazy that you know when we bring that up, you know, a lot of people don't remember offensive line. You know, they never show our right. face, and they only <laughs> you know they only hear about us when we draw a penalty or something like that. But when I meet people and I tell them who I am, and I tell them you know I played, they say you a big guy, you played ball. I say yeah, I played for Carolina a few years. Uh, I tell them my name. Oh, you the guy responsible for the Clemson fight. So I always <laughs> got the Clemson fight. But basically, man, it, it, it was a it was a fourth down play. It was a yeah fourth down play, and um, had a hit on Savelle, and Savelle was ready to get up, and the guy pushed him down. Mm. And you know, I initiated contact with the guy, and it just it, it went crazy from there. Um, like I said, you hate to see Coach Holtz go out like that. You hate to see that mark put on both universities. You know, we were going to a bowl. We had to, both teams had to forfeit their bowls. Mm. Um, it, it was just a bad day in Carolina football. And like you say, you know, we, we hope to never see that again. Yeah. yeah and I don't think we will. I, I want to ask you, though, it's funny, because obviously you're defending your quarterback. But I feel like that was something when you watched that game, you could almost feel that kind of brewing the entire – the frustration was building and, you know, meeting yeah. up with meeting up with Clemson at the bottom of the hill. And it just kind of yeah. – it all culminated. I mean, obviously it was still shocking, but uh, just yeah, crazy. it's just crazy. Know, yeah, the, the night before that when we was in the hotel room because we stayed over in Greenville – uh, that was the night that the, the Pistons had the big brawl. Yeah. 
I mean, everybody was talking Dallas about it. Palace, yeah. Right. Yeah, everybody was talking <laughs> about it. And, and even from the jump of that, um, from the from the start of the game, like when, when we met those guys at the bottom of the hill, it was a lot of chippiness going on. Mm. And it seemed like the refs, you know, they, they, they weren't controlling the game. Mm. And all of a sudden, it just got out of hand, man. Yeah. No, for sure. So I want to move again that that 2005 season, Steve Spurrier's first year, and specifically for you, Chris, you won most improved offensive lineman in spring of 2005. And again, you were one of only two offensive players as a whole to start all 12 games. Uh, just talk about again for your game specifically, um, what clicked for you? I mean, what do you feel like improved that led to that recognition from uh, Coach Spurrier and the staff? I just felt like all the hard work that we had been putting in, um, knowing that I had to be a leader, even though, you know, I was just a redshirt junior at the time. Um, you know, I, I just felt like I had to be a leader. And along with Nashawn Goddard and Jabari and those guys, you know, all of us stepped it up and they, they, they really helped me elevate my game. And, and I, want, I want to ask you as well, because, again, you took over as the starting center that year. And uh, I feel like, you know, I always give – I was talking to my buddy about this the other day. I always give credit to offensive linemen, to you guys, because I feel like it's one of those things where, again, if you watch football, you're going to talk about it, you're going to break it down. But unless you've played on the offensive line, you just have no idea. Like, the intricacies right. and how how complex it truly is. Like, it's it's literally your own language. You guys have your own mm -hmm. language and just the little nuances about, you know, the steps and just everything, the zone blocking schemes and all of it. Um but you played both guard positions and a little bit of center. You really played everywhere uh, your first couple of years, but you took over as the starting center. Just talk about the challenges of that because, again, you're literally the quarterback of the offensive line. You're making the checks. You're making the calls. I mean, that's, that's a big responsibility. I, you know, it's crazy. Maybe my mind is just twisted in this way. I remember specifically that 05 season going into the season. That was kind of one of the top storylines. Like, okay, we got a brand-new center. How's our center going to play? Because it's that important of a position. Just talk about that. I mean, shouldering that responsibility. Yeah, um, you know, the year before, I played alongside John Strickland. You know, John did an awesome job. You know, I watched him. Um, and then, you know, once he left, you know, I had to transition over to the center. And once Coach Spurrier got there, it was a totally different ballgame as far as play calling, as far as the playbook. Um, you know, with Coach Host, it was, you know, pretty much strictly zone running. Um, and it, it was to the point that the opposing defenses would be calling out plays because they knew what was coming. But once Spurrier got there, you know, he changed everything. He opened up the playbook, and it was just a – you had to study a lot. You, you had to know because, like you said, you're the quarterback of the offensive line. So, um, you know, between that and just, just studying and just putting in the work, uh, extra film work, um, extra on-the-field work, just working with those guys. Because as an offensive line, you guys have to jail. And I, I know you know, you know, that line we had, we, we was plugging the players in every other game. And, and, and once we finally got some – some 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 solidity to us. I think we played pretty good. How how important would you say that continuity is? Because you hear we hear that a lot, right? Like fans hear that, but again, I really just don't feel like unless you've you've played it, coached it, whatever, you truly appreciate it and understand. I mean, how just tell people how important is that having those five guys that you can roll out there every single week? It, it's very important. You know, in football, you hear a lot about the the quarterback to wide receiver um, uh, being together. Right. But I mean, to me playing offensive linemen with those other four guys is just as important because you you can have four guys do the right thing. One guy take a wrong step, you got a sack on the quarterback, and they're blaming the whole offensive line. So to me, it's, it's pretty important. It's actually extremely important that those guys jail uh, together. Yeah, for sure. I, I want to talk about, again, that first game in 2005. Though, again, you're starting at center, but – Steve Spurrier's first game in Columbia. I was fortunate enough to be there. And, you know, I, I think we'll never forget the buzz around the building, the electricity game days there. I mean, it's the nationally televised Thursday night game. And then, you know, first drive of the game, Mitchell to Whiteside and the Spurrier era is on. Just just talk about, again, the build up to that, you know, the feeling running out of 2001. It's a packed Williams-Brice. I mean, it kind of all finally coming to fruition, if you will, the start of the Spurrier era. I mean, I just – I was in the building and I felt the electricity. I know you guys had to feel that as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, all offseason, that's all everybody was talking about. And I can just vividly remember, you know, the conversation we had, you know, we can't wait for that first game to go out and, and, and put on the show for the fans because we had worked extremely hard when uh, Coach Spurrier brought his new weight, the weight training staff in. I mean, uh, Pat, Pat Pat Moore, you know, he, he was tough on us in the weight room. But when we got that new guy, Mark Smith, we called him Black Iron. Um, those workouts were excruciating. And we just knew – that first game, we can't wait to display, you know, all the hard work we had put in in the offseason, uh, winter workouts, summer workouts. We were just excited to finally get out and hit somebody new. 
For sure. We're talking about Coach Spurrier a lot, obviously. Let's move to that, obviously. Your relationship with Coach Spurrier, because, again, we all know he's a character. Um, we all know how he is on his quarterbacks and his wide receivers. But his offensive linemen, how, how was he with you? Like, what was the relationship like between uh, between you and Spurrier? We had, we had a pretty good relationship. Um, one thing about Spurrier, if, if you mess up, he's going to let you know. <laughs> he's going he's to put it in a funny way that it's going to make you think, like, oh, man, did he really just say that? But, you know, when you look back on it, uh, you realize, you know, he was just trying to motivate you and push you. I mean, it was some things he said that hurt my feelings. I had to talk to some of my teammates <laughs> about it. But I tell you what, you know, it, it was for the best. You know, he brought the best out of me, um, and I really appreciate him for that. Who, who would you say had the funnier nuances, Holtz or Spurrier? Because they both are very, very unique individuals. There's no question. And, 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 the, and they're, they're the total opposites. But if I had to give it to one of them, man, it was Spurrier. Because, I mean, he would say some <laughs> crazy stuff to you. <laughs> love it love it well let's again just keep talking about that 05 season man we could go on and on but you guys accomplished so many firsts you know what i mean from beating tennessee up in knoxville for the first time to beating florida for the first time in what was it, like 70 years or something like 80 years or 60 or whatever um you know just talk about again that season i don't think people were expecting much out of South Carolina, and then you guys go and do what you did. I mean, again, just those memories stick out so vividly for South Carolina fans. I mean, and nobody can ever take that away from you. Again, nothing, it doesn't matter what South Carolina accomplishes from this point forward. You were on the team, you know, a team that accomplished so many firsts at South Carolina. Yeah, just that season, you know, when, uh, you know, just beating Tennessee, uh, coming back and beating Florida. And and that game was awesome because, you know, that was that was Spurs' first time playing Florida yeah. uh, in Carolina. And I tell you, once we won that game, I mean, an hour after the game, I mean, fans were still in the stadium. Mm. I mean, I think they were shocked that, you know, we came out of competing and beating them. <laughs> I think they were a top 10 team at the time. Um, had a bunch of NFL guys playing and and, and we really competed. Mm. And so I, I just think that, that that season was magic for us. No, for sure. So, again, I want to move 06. You're a senior, like I said. Most outstanding offensive lineman in the spring of 2006. You started all 13 games as a senior, I, I got to think, Chris, at that point, you're, you're feeling pretty good about your game and your skill set and what you bring. Again, you're, you're an anchor of the offensive line. You're, you're a well-known commodity at this point amongst Gamecock fans. I mean, I remember thinking back at that point, you know, there, there's one guy we can depend on is going to be Chris White. I mean, he's going to anchor the offensive line for South Carolina. Um, but you go into that senior season, we've talked a lot about South Carolina Clemson, the rivalry, and, uh, you know, how you were split on Carolina Clemson, where you were going to go, whatever. Obviously, you choose South Carolina, but – Obviously, there were some frustrating moments those first couple of years for you in the rivalry, but to end your career, at least regular season career, but to end your career with a win against Clemson, that 2006 game, back and forth, crazy game. The offensive line had a fantastic day. Uh, Mike Davis running the football and Corey Boyd running the football and all that. And um, to get that win over them at their place in dramatic fashion, I mean, just, just describe that for you. I'm sure that had to be a very sweet moment. Yeah, to me, that was the highlight of my career at Carolina because, you know, if you're a Gamecock, you know, your, your number one goal, well, when we started, was to beat Clemson. And then when Spurrier came, you know, he took all that stuff down. He said, you know, our goal is to win the SEC championship. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just being from South Carolina, um, knowing guys that played up there, um, deciding if I was going to go to Clemson or Carolina, that game just meant a little more to you than any other game. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was part of that 63-17 loss. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that that hurt really bad. That was probably the lowest point of, you know, my Carolina career. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, we played them pretty good the next couple of years, but we just couldn't get over that hump. Right. But, but for us to go out in that fashion my senior year, uh, the way we did with that missed field goal by Jad Dean, I mean, it was just awesome. Like I say, to, to finish out our career that way, finally, finally getting to beat those guys, that was definitely the highlight of my career. And I mentioned some of the guys you blocked for, obviously, and guys that I've had, you know, been been fortunate enough to have on the show: Corey Boyd, Mike Davis, Dacus Terman. Uh, I think you probably got there, or maybe Andrew Pinnock was still there, maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah I was Demetri was Demetrius there. Summers, I think of. I mean, um, I, if I had to make you pick, is there one guy that stands out that's like maybe just say most memorable blocking for? I won't, I won't make you pick a favorite, but uh, like most memorable guy that you're like, we blocked for this guy, like, like you're having fun blocking for him, if you will. I tell you what, man, I mean, I, I can pick all of those guys, but the the, the, the passion and, and determination that core board ran with, I mean, as an offensive lineman, you love to block for guys like that. Yeah. I mean, that determined was awesome. You know, he would get you those tough yards. I think we had a, a really good plethora of running backs that year, mm. um, really my whole career. Mm. But I, I would have to say core board because, you know, he, he ran hard and he didn't mind, you know, patting your offensive lineman on the butt, telling you thank you. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'll say this. Corey has one of the all-time quotes I think I've ever had on my show when I asked him about his running style. And he said, always be the hammer, never the nail. That's my running style. And I'm like, that, that is fitting. I mean, that is, that's exactly how I'd envision Corey Boyd answering that question. And that's, um, why, that's why he ran the ball. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So let's move into another highlight. And I know I posted this highlight a few days ago, and I think maybe you commented on it or whatever, but something obviously great to relive. Um, a couple of days ago was the 10-year – or excuse me, the 14-year anniversary, whatever it is, of you guys beating Houston and the Liberty Bowl. And I remember specifically, again, as a fan, because we hadn't gotten to the point yet where we won the SEC East or won 11 games, like how big of a win that was and how how great that felt to beat Houston. Obviously, RIP Kenny Mack, he had a big part in that. And, uh, you know, other guys as well, yourself, obviously. And that was your last game at Carolina, last game, you know, wearing the garnet and black ever. And you guys go out and get that big win over Houston. I mean, just just – just talk about that, man, getting the win again, it, it being your last career game at South Carolina and the offensive line, again, had a great night that night. I, again, I'm sure that had to be just a picture-perfect way to close out your career. Yeah, it was. I mean, we were still high off that Clemson win. Um, and then, you know, just to be able to prepare for another bowl game and, and with that being my last time, you know, suiting up for the game cost. I mean, it was extra special for me. Um, and then to go out and win in the fashion that we won in, like you say, rest in peace to uh, Kenny McKinley, uh, God played a huge part in that game, but it, it meant a lot of us. It meant a lot to us uh, to go out with those with that last win, and then you know I we I played against a guy named Marquay Love who actually played defensive lineman for Houston. We actually ended up going to the Hula Bowl together out in Hawaii, so you know I ragged him a little bit about that. And then when I went to the Philadelphia Eagles, you know they had drafted Kevin, Kelvin Cobb, which was yeah. Houston's quarterback at the time with their first round pick. So we jabbed a little bit about that, but you know it, it was great to go out with that win the way we did. For sure. Now, Chris, again, you talk about the Eagles. Let's talk about your pro career a little bit. You spent some time with the Eagles and the Seahawks in 2007 and 2008. Again, just, just talk about overall from your professional career. Um, what did you learn? What was the experience like? And, and what do you take away looking back on, on that professional football experience? Um, well, my, my, my professional career didn't go as planned. You know, I was, um, I was projected to go between fifth and seventh round, which we didn't, they didn't draft a lot of center that year. So I fell into the, the undrafted category, um, had did a lot of workouts with the Philadelphia Eagles. They flew me up, um, you know, had a, had a good, you know, relationship with, um, with coach Juan Castillo. So I ended up signing with them, uh, went through the whole uh, off season program, got hurt in uh, training camp um, and was waived. They paid me injury set them and let me go. I rehab for that next year. And um, got on with the Seattle Seahawks in 2008 um, and did, you know, pretty much the whole offseason with them. And I got injured my back out there, which, like I said, it didn't go as planned. But the lessons that I learned, you know, while I was there, um, the, the, the relationships that I made, you know, Sheldon Brown played down in Carolina and he was in Philadelphia with me. Uh, I was up there with him and, and, you know, just the talks he gave me, I was feeling like, you know, I'm not getting a fair shake. I'm not getting those reps. And he always said, you know, Chris, your film. Uh, is your resume. So, you know, even in practice, every rep, make it count. Um, and like I said, you know, just just the, the way I grew uh, from that experience, um, learning to become a, a real man, um, it, it really meant a lot, you know, to, to have Sheldon take me on this wing. And Maurice Morris, uh, who played out at Oregon, you know, he's from my high school and we were together out there at, at, um, in Seattle. So just having somebody that, that I was comfortable with kind of take me on that wing and show me the ropes while I was there, it, it really meant a lot. For sure. Chris, I, I want to ask you about, because I really do believe a program, you, you need to pay respects, obviously, to the guys that come before. And, you know, you, you build a program. It's like building blocks on top of one another. So guys like yourself who had such a big impact, you know, especially those first couple Spurrier teams, you know, you guys really helped build what we saw, you know, culminate in 2010 and 11, 12, 13. And I just want to get your perspective on, you know, you being able to sit back and watch those teams and watch South going to do what they did. And you probably know some of those guys are familiar with them, at least if nothing else. So just talk about what that was like, man, to see South Carolina football go from, again, you saw it in 2002 and 2003 when you're kind of, you know, lost in the wilderness and don't really know what direction you're going to, you know, kind of reaching a mountaintop, if you will, getting to the SEC championship. I mean, something that people maybe thought wasn't going to happen and then winning 11 games three years in a row. I mean, just I, I would imagine there's a ton of pride there for you. It was a ton of pride. And I, I tell you, man, when you when you walk around and you you, you, were, you were proud to wear your game caught gear. Um you know, we we come from a town where, you know, you, you see the Clemson of Carolina and, and the way those guys went through that whole um, gauntlet of games and, and, and to be able to beat Clemson the way they did. I mean, it, it really showed 
it, it really made us proud as, as, as former players, um, you know, to, to be able to, to, to see those guys, you know, play, play that way. For sure. Now, I, I want to ask you about, Chris, obviously the current state of Gamecock football. We all know with the recent coaching change, Shane Beamer uh, has taken over South Carolina's head coach, which obviously a very popular hire amongst Gamecock fans, former players as well, as I'm sure you've seen. Um, I know he got there, obviously, a little bit after you, but just just kind of give your overall thoughts on the current state of Gamecock football, Shane Beamer taking over again. I know it's a really, a really popular hire amongst probably guys you played with, um, probably guys you're friends with and chat with and all that. Um, but your overall thoughts and just the the future of South Carolina's football program going into 2021 and beyond. You know, I, I try to look at it as a um, glass half full. Mm. Um, we, we've had a rough few few years. Uh, it, it's been really rough. Um, I don't know Shane Beamer personally. I didn't play for him. Right. Um, but I know some of the guys that did and, you know, they're vouching for him. And, you know, guys like Marcus Lattimore, you know, the, the things he said about him. Um, if those guys believe in him, then I definitely believe in him. Um, I, I definitely think, you know, we're, we're on the right path. People can't see it now. And as a former player, um, we know the work that goes into that. Fans may not know, you know, um, and, and I'm looking at it from, from a different lens. Now I can look at it from a fan now. Uh, so I can see how, you know, the, the, fan, the fans have been frustrated uh, because those, those wins, those three 11 win seasons, it's, it really spoiled us. You know, mm. now every game we was going out looking to win. Because you know that's that's just the mindset and mentality that those guys had during during those years, and you know we were hope that it would transfer over. But I definitely think you know he's going to be a good hire. Uh, it seems like he's he's definitely a player's coach. Uh, the way those older guys are vouching for him, and I just hope he can get in, get in there and, and recruit the guys that we need to get back to where we need to be at. And your former teammate Eric Kimry on staff. How about that? Uh, I know we're all awesome. happy. Eric's a great dude. I know we're all happy to see that. I, I want to ask you, before we get off of actually the 2020 season, though, because, again, I feel like I got an ask an offensive lineman about this. Anytime you have a 1,000-yard rusher, even though the record wasn't what any of us wanted it to be, obviously, and the season didn't go how we wanted, but if you have a 1,000-yard rusher, you feel like as an offensive lineman, you must have had a pretty good year. I mean, that, that's that's especially in a 10-game All-SEC schedule. I don't know how much if, if you watch all of the games or if you watch any of Carolina football this year, but I'd love to just get your thoughts if you did. Um, you know, what you saw from South Carolina's offensive line, again, when a guy like Kevin Harris has the type of season he was able to have, you're doing something right in run blocking. I mean, you're opening some holes. So I, I'd love to hear your, th your thoughts on that overall. Yeah, I mean, as an offensive lineman, you, you definitely take pride in a, in a thousand back rush. Mm -hmm. um, I think the offensive line, you know, they, 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 they were pretty decent. Um, I saw some inconsistencies a lot. Um, but you got to give Kevin Harris the, the, the props, man. That guy, I mean, he, he made runs when there was nothing there. Yeah. Uh, tough physical runner, you know, catch the ball at the backfield. You have to give him those, those props. But I, I think the offensive lineman played a, a really good part in it. For sure. Well, Chris, I, two things before I get you out of here. Actually, a couple. I, I got about three things. First things first, I was thinking about this all show. I, I want to ask you, though, because I, I was going to ask you about your favorite memory at South Carolina, but I want to ask you as an offensive lineman whether – whether you're playing guard, like in a pulling situation, like do you have a memory of just laying somebody out. Pancakes is how offensive linemen are measured. You have like a memory from college where you like you just absolutely laid somebody out on a run play or pat whatever the play was. Does that are any do any of those stick out to you? Oh, absolutely, because you know <laughs> we don't get in the highlights. Right. The offensive line, we don't get in the highlights. So our highlights come when we go in the next day and watch that film. Yeah. Um, I never forget my senior year. We were playing Clemson. Um, I had a, a, a crazy crackback block on Gaines Adams, you know, rest in mm -hmm. peace, Gaines oh, yeah. Adams. Awesome defensive end. But it, it's just those plays um, that – and when you go back and watch film, you say, man, I, I played pretty good that game. And then when the coaches, you know, acknowledge that in the team meetings, you know, you know, you've you done something right. Like I said, you know, we don't get a lot of credit. And as an offensive lineman, you know, you're not used to it. You don't expect it. <laughs> I remember uh, Coach David Guglielmo, he got a shirt made that said all the offensive linemen had had dirty deeds done dirt cheap you know and, and basically that's the mentality that you have to have as an offensive lineman you go in and do the dirty work every play you know you don't get the recognition but you know those are kind of people that offensive linemen are you know we we, we do what's best for the good of the team yeah but I say the unsung heroes like you said it's kind of unfair the offensive lineman you really only you only hear about them when there's a false start you miss a block you hold it's like you don't you don't get the uh or in my case when there's a bad snap over the quarterback's head <laughs> <laughs> hold on you gotta you gotta remind me when did that happen i don't remember that 
Man, I, I had a few of those, man. And after the game, my mom used to let me know. She was like, Chris, I was ready to get fired. <laughs> Someone was talking trash about you in the stands, and I turned around and yelled. So, uh, yeah, I mean, those those things come with the territory. I was going to say, is there is there any worse feeling? Because I feel like if you're a center, you know the second it leaves your hand, like, oh, that one's high. That, that's definitely yeah, high. I, mean, I tell you what, uh, I want to say it was in 04 when we were playing Ole Miss. That's when they had uh, Eli. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I shot a I shot one over Dondrell Pinkett's head, and there was a safety, and I think we lost by a few points. And th- those guys gave me a hard time in a, in a good way. Uh, right, you know, right, right. on the sideline, they cut me up, say, you know, it's all right, you, you good, you know, get them next time. But it, it's those plays that, that really stick out. You know, you had the good plays and you had the bad plays. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm going to get you out of here, Chris. You've been gracious with your time. But I, I want to ask you again, lastly, just favorite memory from South Carolina. Maybe funny stories as well. Any Spurrier stories that you can uh, – you can share on the air either from practice, on-field, off-field, games, whatever. I mean, I feel like the stories are endless, especially in the film room. That's I know you talked about that, but I've heard so many funny stories from Spurrier in the film room, and him he was hell with that clicker. He, he Like you said, he, he would make you feel about this big if you messed his play up. Man, I, I tell you what, some of the stories that I can tell, I, I don't even want to relive those moments. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's been times I walk out that meeting room, man, my head was was, was hanging low because, I mean, he, he would make you feel really bad. But, you know, the things he said is it, to make you better. Hmm. But, um, I mean, like I said, it's a lot of funny stories. But the, the best thing about my career, you know, other than beating Clemson, was the camaraderie that I had with my teammates um, on the field and off the field. Like I said earlier in the interview, you know, it, it was a brotherhood. And um, to me, that's what sticks out the most in the five years that I was down in Carolina, you know, just how together everybody was. And, and still, you know, after the, after all these years, you know, how you still really tight with those guys and you consider them your brothers. So to me, that was the best part of my career. For sure. Well, Chris, it's been a pleasure, man. Like I said, I know I can speak for all Gamecock fans when we say that uh, obviously watching you do what you did and Garnet and Black and, yeah, I mean, seriously, being an anchor at the offensive line and pushing people around and the great memories from, especially later in your career, those first couple Spurrier teams. I know for someone like me, I'll tell you personally, I, I became really understood it and became a diehard fan when I was about 12. So into 2002, beginning of 2003. So especially those first couple of Spurrier teams, they really hold a special place for me because it's like those were – the first teams you really latched on to. And obviously you were a big part of that. So thank you obviously for the way you represented USC and obviously what you did on the field, off the field as well. But uh, I absolute pleasure to have you on a chat with you. And we'd love to do it again soon sometime, man. Okay. Thanks a lot, Chris. Enjoy doing it. Absolutely. He's Chris White. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in and we'll catch you next time on the episode of the Spurs Up Show.